Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. It is a great blessing that we may be here again to join together in the worship of our triune God. Welcome to all who are present here and to all those who have joined us via the live stream this afternoon. May the preaching of the gospel message direct our hearts and minds in faith and in trust to our Saviour Jesus Christ and cause us to live our lives to the praise of him. Consistory has the following announcements. Brother and sister Duncan and Anique Old, along with their daughters Annalise and Etienne Old, have arrived with attestation from the Free Reform Church of Melville. We welcome this family into our congregation. And the congregation is reminded of the congregational meeting to be held tomorrow evening, the Lord willing, here in this church building, commencing at 7.30pm with coffee available from 7pm. The purpose of the meeting is for the calling of a minister. And this afternoon, the worship service will be led by Reverend Archibald. Before we commence the worship service, let us sing together hymn five or verses. Oh 
Congregation, would you please rise? Once again, we confess our dependency on the Lord, uh, not only in this worship service, but at all times as we seek to serve him, as we acknowledge that our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. And again, we hear his greeting. Grace be to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We acclaim the greatness of our God by singing Psalm 66, stanzas 1, 2 and 4. 66, stanzas 1, 2 and 4.
confession of faith today is from the Apostles' Creed, and you can find that on page 493 at the back of the Book of Praise. And when I, uh, as I recite these words, we remember that this is not just the confession of the one standing in the pulpit, but it is our confession, uh, that which we all are called to believe. And so we begin with this by saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he arose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe a holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. By way of response to that, we continue to offer our praises to this God whom we have confessed. We exult in him as our God and our King by singing from Psalm 145, stanzas 1 to 3. 145, stanzas 1 to 3.
have sung to our great God and King. So we come before him in our prayers, knowing that he is infinitely great, also good and merciful to his people. And so we bring our praises to him, acknowledging his majesty. And we also bring our requests to him a little bit later in the service. We do that a little more, uh, knowing his goodness and his mercy. Let us pray. Almighty God and Heavenly Father, in your infinite majesty and your uniqueness, we are reminded that there is no other who is like you. You are not just greater than the creature, you are absolutely unique, the only true and living God, infinitely holy and infinite in all of your attributes. Not only so, but Father, we also confess that you are incomprehensible, that no creature can wrap his mind around you. And yet at the same time, Father, you have revealed yourself to us in your Son and in the Word which comes from him and is about him. You even give us aid from your Holy Spirit so that we can receive and believe that Word and understand as much as we can as limited creatures. Creatures, moreover, whose minds have also been damaged by sin. Further, you also give us this great privilege that we are enabled to acknowledge and to confess your name as we have just done using the Apostles' Creed, where there too we confessed your attributes and your works. And not only does this give honour to you, Father, that is our intention, but also it reinforces our own faith and our own commitments. And we encourage each other at the same time as we make your name known to those who do not know you as well. So too there we have this privilege of confessing you. Father, the more we see ourselves as a sinful people with unclean lips, the more we pray that we will also see and value the privilege, what a privilege this is, to be able to confess your name and proclaim it to those around us. And therefore, Father, when we confess our faith or whether sometimes we sing the creed or whether we're reciting Lord's Day 1 or quoting scripture texts or whatever it is, we ask that you would keep us from taking such things for granted, that we would not forget the grace and the privilege that you give to sinners to cleanse our lips through the Lord Jesus Christ so that we may take your holy word upon those same lips. And similarly, Father, when we sing or when we say Amen, we pray that, that this too would not be some empty formality, but something where we realise what a privilege it is, what a blessing and how much grace there is that lies behind it, that we are able to affirm that we believe the things that we find in your word and the things that the church has always confessed. For the same reason, Father, will you cause us to... Uh, to pray carefully and attentively, to read your word with the same care and attentiveness, and to hear your, the preaching of your word with that same attention. Father, this afternoon again, will you keep our minds from drifting? Will you keep our minds from receiving information 
as mere abstract propositions, but rather enable us to have a true knowledge, a knowledge that affects the whole person. Father, we ask that you would also grant us diligence in our personal Bible reading and prayers and family devotions. Will you enable parents to teach their children good habits of these things from an early age? And also to teach them good habits in listening to the preaching of your word, even when they are young and may not yet understand it all. Father, we do not expect to understand everything immediately. For we know that you unfold the meaning of your word to us progressively, just as you sanctify us progressively through life. And we pray that you would help us to accept that and to be patient with it. We also thank you, Father, that the whole of our sanctification is a lifelong process. So that again, we, we can expect that there will be growth, growth in knowledge, knowledge of many things we don't yet understand, growth in grace by which we may progressively overcome with your help sins that we are currently battling. And yet also give us the humility to accept that even at the end of our lives, we will only have made a small beginning. Help us to be very th thankful, Father, that there is a beginning, even if it is a small one. It may be small from our side, but it is evidence of a very great grace that is shown to us, especially in the sending of your Son, our Saviour Jesus Christ, and all he has done for us. As we ponder these things, Father, will you enable us to be humble before you, to be thankful, and also to have a certainty that the things that you have assured us, not only about the next life, but also about what can, we can expect as people growing in grace and knowledge, that these things would be certain to us. For everything you promise, as we heard this morning, is indeed most assured. Father, will you now receive these prayers and will they be acceptable in your sight through the Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our first scripture reading this afternoon is from Ephesians 6, verses 1 to 9. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 to 9. Uh, not uncommon, of course, to read this particular passage in connection with Lord's Day 39. <coughs> Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honour your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bond servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleases, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, 
whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters do the same to them. And stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and that there is no partiality with him. And the reason I went on to read that second section on bond servants and, and masters is to show just how similar the instruction that we receive, whether dealing with the one authority situation of children with their parents, or the other one with servants and masters, or in today's terms we might say uh, employees and employers, but a very similar structure in the commandments that are given to them, and to the fact that we do this, we render obedience to authority for the Lord's sake, above all else. Then our second reading is from Leviticus 19, Leviticus 19. And I initially tended, intended to read just the first three verses, but I will read on, I think, to verse 18, just to give a little bit more of the context here in this chapter. Leviticus 19. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves any gods of cast metal. I am the Lord your God. When you offer a sacrifice of peace offerings to the Lord, you shall offer it so that you may be accepted. It shall be eaten the same day you offer it, or on the day after, and anything left over until the third day shall be burned up with fire. If it is eaten at all on the third day, it is tainted and will not be accepted. And everyone who eats it shall bear his iniquity, because he has profaned what is holy to the Lord, and that person shall be cut off from his people. When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge, neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest, and you shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor, and for the sojourner, I am the Lord your God. You shall not steal, nor shall you deal falsely. You shall not lie to one another. You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. You shall not oppress your neighbour or rob him. The wages of a hired worker shall not remain with you all night until the morning. You shall not curse the deaf, or put a stumbling block before the blind, but you shall fear your God. I am the Lord. You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbour. You shall not go around as a slanderer among your people, and you shall not stand up against the life of your neighbour. I am the Lord. You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbour, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbour as yourself. I am the Lord. 
Psalm 19 uh, deals with God's general revelation, but also the special revelation of his word with its uh, reviving, renewing and strengthening power. Before we come to hear the preaching of that word, we sing from number 19, Psalm 19, stanzas 1, 3 and 4.
I will read the text again from Leviticus 19, verses 1 to 3. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel, and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father, and you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. And then also from the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 39, which you can find at the back of the Book of Praise on page 555. Lord's Day 39, question 104. What does God require in the fifth commandment? And the answer, that I show all honour, love and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me. Submit myself with due obedience to their good instruction and discipline and also have patience with their weaknesses and shortcomings since it is God's will to govern us by their hand. Covenant people of God, parents are usually delighted when their little baby takes his first steps. They often act as if this were some great and unusual achievement. Even though, most likely, baby needed quite a lot of help and quite a lot of training. And there were many falls along the way, and progress through the whole thing was rather halting. Well, we could probably make a similar statement about our own spiritual progress. We receive much encouragement and training from the Lord in our walk before him. And our walk in his ways is only possible because he is holding our hand all the way. There are many falls despite that, and progress is halting. Yet the Lord is pleased with the progress. And I would suggest that that is the case, that God is pleased with our progress because it is his work. And as the reformer Theodore Beza once wrote, God loves his own handiwork. And he is pleased with his own work, also the work that he does in us. For many of us, that training begins in the home. The place where we take our first baby steps in walking in the Lord's ways. That's very much also with the case with our training in this matter of how we deal with authority. Three points as we consider this training in the proper response to authority, as we find that in our text in Leviticus 13. And Leviticus 13 is also reflecting the fifth commandment. And the fifth commandment is the subject of Lord's Day 39, so you see the connection between this text and this part of the Heidelberg Catechism in the section on the Heidelberg that deals with the Ten Commandments. Three points, as I said. First of all, the basis for a proper response to authority. Secondly, the response to God's authority. And thirdly, the response to human authority. In the first place, 
as we've seen, uh, babies need help to take their first steps. And part of that help, we might say, is objective. Hands grasping baby's hands. A conveniently placed coffee table that they can edge around. And part of it is more subjective and perhaps we could say motivational. The promise of a warm embrace from mum and dad when baby finally makes that little distance, those first steps, and comes into the waiting arms. Or perhaps it's the vigorous applause that they get when the first steps are finally taken. For God's people too, there is an objective basis and there is also subjective motivation. We need to be clear though that the Lord enables us, he is the one who enables us to take the first steps and the second and third and in fact all of the steps that we take are a matter of his grace, his strength and not by our own efforts or strength. The initiative is his, the work of the Lord Jesus Christ for us, the sending of his word to us, the sending of his spirit to us. And the ongoing help through the Christian life is his as well. And without these gifts, you and I would be taking absolutely no steps at all in the walk that he calls us to. Having said that, the Spirit gives us the gift of faith by his initiative. And once we have that group, that gift, with the illuminating grace of his Spirit, we can begin to read the scriptures and to be motivated in the right way to keep following in the Lord's ways. We learn, for example, what it means to fear the Lord. And we learn what it means to love the Lord. And we learn what it means to be thankful to the Lord. Thankful for his many gifts and mercies to us. And then having learned those things, those motives, we seek his help in an ongoing way to grow in maturity to grow in the fear of the Lord, to grow in love, to grow in gratitude, and we use the means of grace accordingly, though none of that in our own strength. In Leviticus 19, the fear of the Lord is presented throughout this chapter as a motive for the believer. And it's mentioned specifically in verses 14 and 32. The fear of the Lord also motivates us to fear our mother and father. Now, that might seem like a, um, a rather strange thing to say. It's in verse 3. The ESV translates the word fear as the word revere. And that's entirely appropriate. But the word is there, a word that literally means to fear your mother and your father. It's the same word. Same word used of our relationship with God, fear the Lord, revere the Lord. Same word used in our relationship with our neighbour. And in this case, in verse 3, the neighbour who happens to be our parents. Now this word fear is a very important one in the scripture. And it's a word that's often misunderstood. In this case, it does not mean that we should be living in terror of God. If we should be living in terror of anything, it is living, or li that we would be terrified of the very thought of departing from the Lord's ways. That it would be a terrifying thought to think of what it would be to stand before God on the last day outside of Jesus Christ, 
Yes, of that thought, perhaps we should be terrified. But to be terrified of God himself when we are in Christ, no, it does not mean that. And by the same token, when we talk about fear of parents, we don't mean that it ought to be the case that there is a terror of your mother or perhaps of your father. It ought not to be that way. In fact, this word fear has a range of meanings, a range of connotations that include such elements as reverence, awe, honour, respect, even love, loyalty, obedience, submission, and it can even be, be used as a word that refers to worship of God. When you consider the requirements of Lord's Day 31, 39, and you look at the series of words that is used in this Lord's Day, you find that that series lies within precisely that range. Honour, love, faithfulness, submission and obedience. That is what it means to fear your parents, to bring that range of things into play. One of the attributes that leads us to fear the Lord is his holiness. The holiness of God is put forward in Leviticus as one of the reasons for our pursuit of holiness. You shall be holy for I, the Lord your God, am holy. Verse 2. Holiness is another one of those words that we use a lot, but possibly don't know what it means, strictly speaking. It really refers to two things. The holiness of God on the one hand means that absolute uniqueness of God that I referred to this morning and again earlier in the service this afternoon. That's one thing it means. And the other thing that holiness means is purity, the purity of God. And the holiness of God in his uniqueness and purity is something that we as his people are to reflect. And we do that on the one hand by being different than the world, that is our uniqueness in compared to other people, and also by striving to live in a godly manner. That's the purity aspect. And every time Leviticus repeats this refrain, I am the Lord, verse 4, verse 10, verse 12, verse 14, verse 16, 18, 25, 28, 30, 31, 32, 34, 36 and 37. So that's a lot of repetition. Every time it says that, it's drawing our attention to that very fact that God is holy and therefore we his people should be. And that's something that then spills over into all our other relationships. If we truly love the Lord, we love his attributes, we love his way of operating in this world, his modus operandi, if you like. We love his word and we love his holiness. And we want to reflect all of that as much as we can, also in the way that we deal with other people. Both of these motives, the fear of the Lord and the love of his holiness, point us in the same direction in the way we treat others, that we reflect his character in our relationship with our neighbour. Is this not why the first and the second tables of the law are regarded as inseparable in the Lord Jesus spoke of that when he spoke about the two great commandments. 
He joined the two tables of the law together and uh, showed how they were so closely related to one another, inseparably. Reverence of the Lord leads to respect. We wouldn't say, say, so much say uh, that the reverence of the Lord leads to reverence of parents. We might reserve that word for our relationship with God, but certainly we would replace that in the case of our neighbour or parents with the word respect. Reverence of God leads to respect of others. Likewise, love of the Lord leads to love of those who are made in his image. And we see that throughout this chapter, reverence to the Lord leading to respect not only for parents in verse 3, but for the disabled in verse 14, for the elderly in verse 32, for the stranger in verse 34. In other words, for our neighbour in general. This then is the basis for a proper response to authority. Recognising what revering God, the holy God, what that means how the two tables are connected, what that means for the way we treat others. It is no surprise then that there is so much trouble today regarding respect for parents in our society. And it's, I guess it's always been that way. I remember a long time ago we heard a, a quote. It was in a church service uh, in Adelaide and we heard a quote uh, from someone who was complaining about the youth of today, how rebellious they were, they weren't listening to parents and so on, and everyone was, was sitting there thinking, yeah, that's certainly the way it is today. And uh, the punchline, the, the minister told us that this was written by some ancient Egyptian centuries and centuries ago. So it's not a new thing, but perhaps the promotion of it has some new dimensions in our, in the, in our current time. And especially, I think, of the, the multimedia. We face a multimedia attack upon us. And I'm sure Satan is using that as effectively as he can. It is a multimedia attack. Young people and older ones are having non-Christian thought, the immorality of non-Christian world, thrust upon us again and again every day. TVs, cell phones, computers. It is just about incessant. So that is perhaps the new dimension, but the problem is not a new one. There is little respect for authority of parents, and there is little respect for authority in general. For there is little fear of God, and these things go together. If there is no fear of God, there will be no proper respect for authority. Many people today do not even desire to be different than the world. And they do not desire to pursue holiness. There is no interest in the matter of holiness. And where there is no interest in that, there will be no interest in dealing rightly with authority. They do not love the Lord or desire to reflect his attributes. And while they are in that state, they cannot love their neighbour as themselves. And they cannot love their parents as themselves. Because parents are also in this sense, your neighbour as well. They lack the objective basis, the benefits of Christ's work, understanding of his word, and the indwelling of his spirit. They lack faith. And even if there is a measure of respect for parents on the part of some unbelievers, or respect for authority, say a boss at work, it is not as a result of the special grace of God in their lives through the work of Christ, his word and his spirit. 
and it cannot be love and respect in the sense that is being talked about here, that which flows out of reverence for God and love of God. Though it's certainly preferable to have that measure of an outward respect, it is preferable to showing open hatred and disrespect. Well, for those who do have the proper basis and motivation then, the first and foremost issue regarding the fifth commandment is how we respond to the Lord's authority. We've got to get that right first. Our second point, the response to God's authority. <coughs> and in that connection, I'd like to note that Leviticus 19 begins by joining two commandments together, the fifth and the fourth. Every one of you shall revere his mother and his father. Note that the mother's not left out of the picture there. Dad is not the only one who has authority in the family. Respect is to be for the mother as well, though the father is the head of the household. And you shall keep my Sabbaths. Is this, do you think, a random joining of two commandments? Or is there a reason for it? Well, I would like to suggest three possible reasons for it, for this combination. The first is that this combination of the fourth and the fifth, or the fifth and the fourth commandment, this combination sends a clear message that once again, the two tables of the law are inseparable. Acceptance of God's authority regarding laws that have to do particularly with our relationship and directly with our relationship to him, like the fourth commandment, and acceptance of the same authority, God's authority, regarding laws that pertain to our relationship with our neighbour, like the fifth commandment. And this verse links the two tables together at the point of the junction between the relationship with God on the one hand, the first four commandments, and the relationship with neighbour on the other hand, the commandments from five to ten. So that's the point of the junction between the fourth and the fifth commandments. Moreover, respecting the God-given authority of those appointed by him is itself another form of reverencing him and accepting his authority. After all, who do you think it is who established the, the authority structures of this society? Who do you think made things this way in this world? Is it not God himself who established these different spheres of authority? Moreover, he is the one who has appointed particular people in his providence to those positions. It's not an accident. It's God's appointment. He is the one who has established this structure and the particular people who become office bearers to this congregation. He is the one who has in his providence, established government, the idea of government in regard of the state, but also the one who, in his providence, has put particular people in a governing position, government to citizens. Same with employers to employees, husbands to wives, parents to children, and teachers to students. To go against the lawful exercise of authority in these spheres is to oppose the Lord's given structures for society. And it is to rebel against his providence 
as if somehow what he has done in making those particular appointments, appointments is, in your view, really a bad idea. That is to go against the providence of God. Just as with the sixth commandment, we say that it should be upheld because murder attacks the image of God. So the fifth commandment should be upheld because rebellion against authority attacks the reflection of God's rule in man's God-given exercise of authority. If we don't accept that authority in the fifth commandment, then how are we going to accept that in fourth commandment issues and vice versa? A second possible reason for the connecting of these two commandments is that obedience to the fourth commandment is one of the first religious exercises learned by covenant children. Even before they understand the significance of the Lord's Day, children learn to obey their parents and head off to church each Sunday. One writer has put it this way. He says, sanctification of the Sabbath is the first step towards holiness in his, that is the child's, spiritual life. So there is also a practical connection between obedience to the fourth and to the fifth commandment. A third reason is related to this. As the child grows older, he will, Lord willing, realise that his parents are obeying the fourth commandment because they love the Lord and they are thankful to him for all the blessings they have received through the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust that that is what parents, as parents, we show our children and not something else. That we don't show them some empty formalism where we just do things because your father said so or whatever else. Or we just do things because it's a habit or a custom. That we show them that we do these things because we love the Lord, we're thankful to him and we want to have the blessing of meeting with him each Lord's Day with his people. And the children see that. They see that this is one way in which their parents are seeking to treat God as holy. They see in this working example in the family that this is what it looks like to revere the holy God. And they see it with this issue, the fourth commandment. It's one of the first things they will notice. They learn it in the home in a way before they even learn it in the Christian school or the catechism classes. But if there is little respect for their parents in the home, then the parental instruction and example on this may mean very little to the child. When children begin to head in an overtly rebellious direction, as they sometimes do, uh, people talk about uh, teenage rebellion. Of course, it doesn't have to be that teenagers become more rebellious than any other sinner, uh, young or old. It doesn't have to be, but it's certainly not uncommon for those who are seeking to find where they stand in the world and uh, their identity and so on as an individual as they come to think of those things more. There may be a few struggles also in the Christian home and sometimes uh, grief that comes uh, as a result of struggles not resolved properly. But as this happens, this rebellion where it does happen, this is often one of the first points of attack where rejection of the second table with respect to parental authority begins to spill over into rejection of the first table. At least it becomes open that that is the case. But why do I have to go to church? 
It's boring. I don't have any friends there. Why can't I play sport with my teammates on the Lord's Day? And so forth. Now we could, of course, draw similar connections between the fifth commandment and the first, or the fifth commandment and the second and the third. But in this particular area, rejection of the fifth and the fourth, they are often connected very visibly in the home as one of the first signs of rebellion. Now we keep in mind that all the commandments are about treating God as holy. It's true, the Sabbath is made for man, for our benefit. But we also remember at the end of the day, it is the Lord's day. And you shall keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. The day that is his day is to be kept holy. It is to be sanctified. Why? Again, the same reason we're seeing through this passage, because he is holy. Just as parents are to be respected and honoured because they are his appointed authorities and he is holy. Of course, covenant children who are taught these things from an early age to respect authority of their parents and others, they are not automatically going to reverence the Lord in their relationship with him. After all, as parents, whatever we can or, don't, or, can or can't do with our children, or whatever we are able to do in instructing them, the one thing we can't do is to govern their hearts. God is the one who changes hearts. We, God uses us as means to work with the children, with the covenant children, but we ourselves are not the ones who turn a heart to God. Only he does that as a work of grace. But if the children are required to show that respect from the start, rather than having some child-centred approach that is so common today, and sadly not only in the non-Christian world, a child-centred approach where children are left essentially to teach themselves or more likely to be taught by social media. But if that is not the case, if they were required to learn these things as much as that can be required, then they have received the instruction, the self-discipline and the example that they will need in all of life. And at whatever point the Lord drives home to them, the connection between obeying parents and revering the Lord when the penny finally drops and they really see that connection, then these lessons that they have learned really start to come into their own. In a covenant member who serves God and respects human authorities for the right reason, out of love for and fear of the Lord and for his neighbour as himself. Now, I've already alluded to the fact that there is a connection between accepting God-appointed authority in the home and accepting his appointments in other authority structures. How a child deals with parental authority will influence how he deals with his neighbour in other situations involving authority. Recognise that, recognising that God is the Lord, revering him, leads to respecting our neighbour, not only the one who is our father or mother, as well as our neighbour in general. Our third and final point, the response towards human authority. And on this point, we can make a similar observation as with the fourth commandment, that often the first lessons we learn that we receive in loving our neighbour 
The first lessons are in the home. Actually, having our lessons taught first in the home is uh, very uh, beneficial for us because when you make a mistake in the home, the home is a very forgiving place, generally speaking. The consequences of not dealing well with authority in the home are usually nowhere near as far-reaching and severe in your life as they will be if you try the same thing on with your boss at work or perhaps with the police or other governing authorities in life or perhaps in your marriage. So it is a safe place to learn and also to make those mistakes and be corrected, to learn those things in the home. At any rate, it is in the home where we first learn about how to deal with our neighbour. One writer has called the home the nursery of neighbourliness. A rather nice saying. Home is the nursery of neighbourliness. What does that mean, to love your neighbour as yourself? That's a big question, perhaps uh, for another sermon sometime. But basically, we can boil it down to this. Love, in its highest agape, biblical sense, means to seek the welfare of others. Loving God, well, we don't talk about doing something for God's welfare because he has no lacks or needs. We can't give him something he doesn't already have. But we put it this way, translating that into our relationship with God, it means seeking his glory above all else, revering him. Loving other people, yes, with that, we say it means seeking their welfare. Not necessarily as people today see and define welfare, but as the Lord defines it, as his word defines welfare or what it is to do good to others. And doing it because we believe they are made in his image. And doing it in the case of authority figures because we believe they are put there by his appointment in his providence according to the structures that he has established in society. Loving sinners means doing all of that despite the fact that they don't deserve any of it for a minute. Not in themselves. On the contrary, they very often deserve exactly the opposite. And we often come across this problem, don't we, in dealing with governing authorities. We look at the way they behave and we say, why should I give them any respect? They don't deserve it in the least bit. Well, the same could be said of slaves with masters in biblical times. But the Apostle Paul didn't agree with saying, oh, just forget it then, they don't deserve it. So don't show it to them, don't show them any respect. He said, for the Lord's sake, do it for the Lord's sake. And we learn those things in the home. What does that mean practically for boys and girls in the way they treat their parents? Well, quite a few different things in practice. One thing is helping. You help your parents around the home because that shows them love. It is for their welfare. It is doing good to them. They are taught, children are taught to obey because their parents are reflecting God's authority at his command. We read that command in Ephesians 6, for example, as well as reading it here. For the same reason, children are taught to think, speak and act respectfully rather than speaking to their parents in a rude and insulting way, whether that is to their face or behind their back, for example, with your mates. Oh, you're my parents. The way that often happens. That is contrary to this commandment. 
And it means for the children doing all of this, even when their parents are not acting in a godly way, as sometimes happens. Perhaps there's ungodly anger on the part of parents. Perhaps there is a measure of inconsistency or hypocrisy. But the child is taught to be respectful and obedient for the Lord's sake. And that remains, the Lord's sake, remains irrespective of the behaviour of the parents. It means being patient, therefore, with the parents' weaknesses and shortcomings, as Lord's Day 39 says. And to keep on showing that honour and that love and that faithfulness and that obedience as much as you possibly can. Though it needs to be said that sometimes parents can make it mighty hard for their children to do that. They can put stumbling blocks in the way of their children, in which they put a temptation before their own children to not act in the way that this commandment requires. And that is why the Lord also tells parents, we read that in Ephesians 6 verse 4, not to make this unnecessarily difficult for the child by bad parenting. Learn those lessons in the nursery of neighbourliness, or as I also refer to it in the title of this sermon, the school of rule. I call it that because that's where you first learn how to deal with authority. You learn it in that safe environment where mistakes are made, but the consequences are not so great as they will be in later life. Learn those lessons well in the school of rule, the, the nursery of neighbourliness, whatever you want to call it, the home. And just think what you can do with those skills in later life by God's grace. You have learned how to think and how to speak and how to act respectfully to other people. You've learned how to be patient with them, even when you feel that they have treated you in a rotten way, unfairly, unharshly, which can also happen in the life of the church. How are you going to deal with that? Well, if you've learned these lessons well, you can deal with that, God willing. You've learned how to keep on seeking their welfare. You've learned how to keep on helping them with their needs. You've learned how to think of them as image bearers of God. And some of them, parents especially, in this case, as God's special appointees. You have learned how to deal with lawful authority, lawful rule. And you can then, by God's grace, apply that as a church member with your consistory, as a citizen with your governing authorities, as a wife with your husband, as a worker with your boss, as a student with your teacher. In fact, you have learned how to love any neighbour, how to treat him the way the Lord wants him treated. But you reject those lessons and do the opposite. And just imagine what that is going to look like in your home in your marriage, in your job, in your church life, in your social interactions. And imagine the effect on your relationship with the Lord if you have not learned how to deal with authority. This, to reject these things, it is the way of dysfunction and it affects everything. Of course, we all fall down in this. We have not learned these lessons as we should. Like babies learning to walk, there are many tumbles, cuts and scrapes. 
and not only for those at the start of their learning. But as with all the Ten Commandments, we keep before us these two things about the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, especially these two. Number one, that he has kept all of those laws perfectly for us. In a way, he has done our sanctification for us in God's eyes as the one who represents us. Just think how he was with his parents. And just think how he sought the welfare of those who didn't deserve it for a minute. That's one thing that we also keep before us, the fact that the Lord Jesus paid a terrible price for our repeated failures to honour our parents as we should and other authorities, our repeated and many failures to love our neighbour and also to revere our God. But that only serves to increase, or it ought to serve, to increase our desire to revere our holy and merciful God all the more as we realise these truths. And a desire to demonstrate all the more our love for him and our gratitude to him, also by loving and honouring our parents as ourselves. Amen. How can a youth preserve his way? By living in accord with God's word. Psalm 119, stanzas 4 to 6. Psalm 119, stanzas 4 to 6.
Let us again bow before the Lord in prayer. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we have sung about youth, a youth preserving his way. But we know that ultimately we only persevere because of your preserving grace. Yet, Father, you are pleased to use means to preserve us, means of grace. Will you help the young to avail themselves of these means? And will you also help older members too? Applying ourselves to your word, seeking to understand what their baptism means, preparing for some to profess their faith publicly, and to benefit from the participation in the Lord's Supper. Father, also devoting ourselves to prayer, and all of that in reliance upon your strength. Father, will you help young people as they do the above things to learn how to respond rightly to authority of parents first, and from that to branch out and learn how to respond to others to whom you have given authority, and behind all of that, to learn what it means to respond rightly to your authority. Will you grant also that parents may not hinder this process by abusive behaviour, by setting an ungodly example, or by hypocrisy and such things. But we realise, Father, that all of us have a measure of hypocrisy, at least the the kind that involves inconsistency in us, and we pray that you would forgive us for those sins and to continue to strive against sin. Father, we pray that governing authorities in this land may be given a measure of wisdom and given also the courage to uphold the truth and true morality and justice even against the social trends that, seek, seek, uh, that um, swamp the Western world and uh, put forward so strongly through the media. And even, Father, when they do not do these things, will you enable us to treat them with respect for your sake as your appointees in your providence, where those who are over us would order us to go against your word, Lord? Will you give us the courage to obey God rather than man? And do not let us fear those who can harm only the body. Do not let us fear them more than we fear the God who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Father, we pray this afternoon for the congregational meeting tomorrow. And as we pray this morning for unity as part of our Christian witness and life, we now ask that you would apply this also to tomorrow's meeting. We pray that things may go in a harmonious way and that even if there are differences of opinion, that members would be one when it comes to the basic biblical principles. Father, will you build up our discernment so that we, won't, we, we understand and know and recognise what are the things that are non-negotiable principles and where there is freedom to differ. And in, through it all, Father, will you teach us more and more to think the best that we are able of those around us and to regard them as more important than ourselves. Will you enable us to apply reverence to you, to respect for brethren also at this meeting. Father, as we consider the conditions at this time of the year in Perth and surrounding regions, we pray that you might be pleased to grant rain according to the need. 
we also ask, though, that you would help us not to be anxious about the future with all the talk of climate change and such. Father, we know that you hold these things in your hand and that nothing can happen to us apart from your will. And that will for your people is for welfare, for good and for blessing. Father, we know this does not mean that there will not be hardship in our lives, but we also know that you have promised that you will maintain the seasons. You have also demonstrated throughout history that your justice does bring consequences on man's sin and the effect that that has on creation with floods and droughts and natural disasters and disease and such things. But Father, do not let us fear such things knowing that we are in your hands. Father, will you enable us to keep on looking to you in all we do during the week ahead? And will you watch over us as our shepherd, our provider, our ruler, our creator and our redeemer God? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Our offerings will now be collected and uh, once again for the work in Cairns. And after that, our final song, which we will stand to sing, will be number 150, stanza one.
Congregation, the Lord pronounces his blessing upon his people with these words. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.